0: Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Katie Hughes, a good friend of ours, who is from Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry and who also hosts her own show, by Kingdom Come. Welcome, Katie.
1: Thank you. So glad to be here.
0: Well, and Katie, I am so glad you're here because we have you here partly because we are in conversation about Lent. And we thought it was a good idea that since I made a presentation at uh, St. Paul the Apostle Church in Chino Hills not long ago on Lent and specifically on Christ's temptations mm-hmm. in Lent in the wilderness, Maybe we could talk about that, and that's kind of why it would be great to have you here to be able to empower us to, to get through this. So with that in mind, before we go any further, Katie, I want to thank you for being here, and I want to ask you if you'd be kind enough to lead us in a word of prayer.
1: I'd be blessed, too. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask your blessing on this show and all the listeners here today and every day listening to this episode on Lent and how can we grow closer to you, Lord, recognizing you went through what we go through every day, and that is temptation. And Lord, we ask you to show us through the Holy Spirit what you have for us, a message for each one of us to grow close to you. Uh, abide in you and your love. And through a life of closeness in Lent, we can reflect on who you were and how you really are the biggest impact on the world, on the church, and we ourselves. We ask all this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. In the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Well, full disclosure, and to make sure that everyone knows where they can go to to get something a little different from this, what we're going to go over today really is a portion of a presentation that was made over at St. Paul the Apostle Church in Chino Hills, and if you would like to see that presentation, you can go to their website. I understand they will shortly have it up. So we'll see how long that takes to happen. And maybe after that, would they get it up? I don't know, because it was done not that long ago. I do know that they've had a couple of speakers on. They had me back. The last time, though, they had me there was two years ago. I was their last speaker before we took two weeks to flatten the curve, which, of course, then turned into two years. So we're hopeful (laughs) that this is a good way to get started again. But my presentation there was focused really on the parish and coming out of these last two years as a parish community together. But the primary motif that I used was really Jesus in the wilderness. So with that in mind, what I started with was uh, Origen of Alexandria's famous quote, although most people don't know it was Origen, who gave the famous quote on the idea of light versus substance. He said, the sun, by one of the same power of its heat, melts wax indeed, but dries up and hardens mud. Not that its power operates one way upon mud and another way upon wax, but that the qualities of mud and wax are different, although according to nature they are one thing, both being from the earth. So essentially what we get from this, and I know Amy Grant made a, a, a song on this that's quite famous out there, at least it was in my day, but the same sun melts wax but hardens clay. And of course we know that Jesus is the light of the world, but he was all he comes to us, the light of the world comes to us as a human being. And so the question of course is, are we, are we, when we go through our trials, are we wax? Do we melt? Or are we clay? Do we, do we harden? And I, I think Jesus must have had that same thought when he was baptized and then was driven out into the wilderness.
1: Yeah, I wonder. I mean, he's God and he's man, so it's really hard. It's a mystery of what he thought or what he had to ask the, the father for to answer those questions, and it's the mystery of the Trinity, too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, it is, because here we have Jesus. As, you know, when we think of, of Jesus, often we think of Jesus as the son of God, and it's very, very tempting to kind of think of him as a superman. Mm -hmm. And we have to be very, very careful because, of course, he's not an amalgam. Mm -hmm. He's not a mixture. He's not the God man mixed together, able to leap tall crosses in a single bound. Mm -hmm. He's he's fully God. But that is, in a way, kind of separate. It's distinct is what they say Mm -hmm. in what's called the hypostatic union. Fancy word for saying when he was a man, he was a man and he knew he was a man. He knew he was mortal. He knew he could die. He knew he would die. Mm-hmm. Because he was a man and he knew all that.
1: Yeah, I, he put aside his power. He humbled himself to take the form of a man. And so, with his humility, he had to go to the Father for everything, and he taught he showed us how we should pray too to the Father. He would look up um for everything for the miracles. He waited for his father to say, "This is my son for whom I'm well pleased listen to him and so and then the heavens opened up, and there was this great sign, so everybody could see that this this man was anointed, and I mean he's humble, he's God, he's perfect. So how did he manage
0: that? (laughs) Well, and and that's what I think he, when it says that he was baptized and then immediately he was driven out into the desert. Mark tells us that it was the spirit that drove him into the desert. And the question is why? Why did he need to go? And, uh, you know, when we think about our own um, times of preparation, when we need to get it together so that we can be prepared for what's coming or what's been going on. We sometimes think of a retreat, but really what that kind of is, is like a boot camp. It's a way for us to get it back together. And here Jesus, who is man and has limited himself to only being man, he has the beatific vision, but in every other way, he is the same as you and me, Mm -hmm. which means that he had to know not only that he's the light of the world, but that an awful lot had been written about him, a lot that would be rather disturbing for, for the vocation that he was called to be, which is the Messiah. He, mm-hmm. he knows he's the Messiah. So what does that mean? So he has a, a very clear knowledge of scripture. We know that he could read and write. He goes into the synagogue. And, uh, in fact, the synagogue that he goes into is not long after this, mm-hmm. where he then reads the scroll and, and preaches on it. And he therefore clearly is a, is, he knows and he's a good student. He knows what was written. For example, in one of the clearest and, and most often quoted sections that we know he knew about, would have been Isaiah 52 and 53, the, the famous section on the suffering servant, which would be rather disturbing if you identified yourself as that suffering servant. So here he is, he is in the water, he has been baptized, he's got the light come down on him, the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He knows he's the Messiah, and yet he knows he's got a lot that's been written about him that's not always quite pleasant. So, for example, it starts off in the suffering servant saying that, well, let me just read parts of it. See, my servant shall prosper, he shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. So... It starts off basically indicating that somehow his servant will will be exalted and then it explains well here's how he's received as very high just as there were many who were astonished at him so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of mortals that doesn't sound so good <laughs> to be marred does not sound like a good thing and it gets worse so shall he startle many nations so this is at the second coming this is at the the apocalypse mm-hmm he is coming back, and he's coming back as a crucified man. And it continues on. It says, who would have believed that we have heard? It says that he had no form or majesty, so he may have been from the house of David, but he did not have any trappings about him at all, and he was despised and rejected. And it says that he bore our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him as stricken and struck down by God. And then it says that By a perversion of justice, he was taken away, and that he would be cut off from the land of the living and stricken for the transgression of my people. To me, this tells me as the Messiah that not only am I going to deal with with a false imprisonment of somehow, but I'm going to be punished. And if I'm cut off from the land of the living, there's not too many ways to interpret that except to say... I'm going to be killed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no it seems that. to me he has a
0: lot to think about when he is baptized into this role and anointed to become the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So it it should not shock us that Jesus, therefore, when he is coming out of that water, is not only reflecting on how wonderful it is to have the father say that this is my beloved son and have this light of the Holy Spirit come upon him, but he also knows what's about to happen over the course of the next several months to years, is not going to be pleasant for him. It says that it pleased God to crush him in pain. Why? Well, because he was willing to offer himself as a sin offering. This goes back to the Torah where there were sin offerings that you would offer, and the sin offering that you offered on behalf of the ruler which is interesting to me that mm-hmm. on behalf of the ruler, would be either a goat or a lamb, and it was to be without blemish, and it would then become the sin. They called it that. They don't call it sin offering. That's an English thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just they when you lay your hands on that poor little lamb, he becomes sin. the sin of, of, of the ruler or the sin of, of whatever it is you're imputing on him. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we know that one of the things that John did in the association mm-hmm. with that whole baptism thing is that he points out Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If there was Ta-da. any confirmation needed, <laughs> Ta-da. then he's a, yeah. But there's another thing that says interesting. He says that, therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured himself out to death and was numbered to the transgressors. And yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So... What it basically says is that if he is willing to take on this role of being this sin offering, he will have resurrection. You trust me? (laughs) That's kind of... Papa? Yeah.
1: Daddy. So this is what
0: Jesus takes with him into the desert. And he has to ask the question, would he be wax or would he be clay? He's the light of the world, but he's also this human being, and he is now going through his testing. He also knows that the light that he is, when it was created, it it shines in the darkness. And the fascinating thing about light is light doesn't retreat from darkness. On the contrary, darkness always, always, always retreats from light. So he takes that with him in as well.
1: This, um, the wax, I just get this image in my mind of the wax and the clay and I think well Jesus of course allowed himself to be love and love melts the, the heart melts for the people and clay dries up it gets cracked and I just kind of see the wax of Jesus being melted over our hardened hearts and kind of softens fills in the gaps and that's what, that you know, we're called to do that too. Just a side note. No, it is. And
0: we talk about how Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and that's mm-hmm. not a good thing. Yeah. So the analogy is, is interesting because it does tell us that there is a pliability that we're supposed to have, mm-hmm. while at the same time we're supposed to have form. So we have to harden, sort of. Mm-hmm. And we have to be softened. It's
1: kind of like following <laughs> the Holy of. Spirit. Yeah. You got to be this way, sometimes you got to be that way.
0: <laughs> so let's talk for a moment about what he ends up doing mm-hmm. then he is driven off into the wilderness. And we know that this takes place north of the, of the dead sea and South of the sea of Galilee. So if you ever look on a map, there's those two seas, one not far from where Jesus uh, grew up in, in uh, Nazareth, where you have the rounder sea up at the top and then the Jordan river in between the dead sea down below. This would have been closer to the sea of Galilee not far from Jericho, and out in the wilderness in that area there. That's where we assume he was. It's very hot and dry. It can get very hot and dry. Yes, it can be. Dusty. And and in addition to that, the wilderness was associated with um, areas that were not tamed by God. So this is where you would uh, expect to find the demons. This is where you'd expect to find the devil hanging out. There was a lot of, of mythology tied to it. You had serpents that were out there, and some of them uh, bit badly. We found that out when the seraph serpents were biting uh, the people who were in the same area uh, when they were coming in, led by Moses. Okay. But he goes out and he spends, after his baptism, forty days and forty nights in the wilderness. And when we think of that, there's a, a lot of us know about several of the forties in the in the Old Testament. So Noah's Flood lasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, and then this is also a transition, of course, from the evil world to God taking action for those 40 days and 40 nights. And what results afterwards is, is a new beginning. But what's interesting for us is that that 40 days and 40 nights really colors not the Christian era so much as, as the Moses era. Because what happens afterwards is that Moses will go for 40 days and 40 nights. And his time, you know, recalling again back to that whole Noah's Ark thing, his time is interesting because he takes with him the elders and they spend the first week before they get to the 40 days, they spend it with God. Mm -hmm. You know, it says no one has seen God except Moses and those 70. And it's cool to read this in, in Exodus because you've got, God, who is walking on the ground during the time he's there, and as he walks, the ground changes to a translucent opal look as he's walking along. That had to be really cool. So, it's, like
1: the, it's like the Matrix. And they're, <laughs> yeah. And they're having
0: we, we, we have nothing on what the, yeah, the, the Bible has for us, yes. but cool stuff. <laughs> but then you have this idea that then Moses alone goes off to spend time with God for 40 days and for 40 nights, and what does he do? He receives the covenant for the first kingdom. And by receiving that covenant for the first kingdom and bringing it down to the people, we start the kingdom of, of the Israelites or the, the nation of Israel. And what's the nation of Israel there for? It's to prepare for God's reconciliation of the world through the Messiah. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is coming for 40 days and for 40 nights into the wilderness to prepare for the new kingdom that mm-hmm. he's about to bring. So there are other 40s that are in there, the spies that were 40 days and 40 nights in the Promised Land, scared to death, come back out, report it, God gets mad, 40 years of the desert. There's even one fascinating little pericope where Ezekiel spends 40 days on his right side to make up for the sins of <laughs> Judah. There's this whole 40 in there that mm-hmm. has to do with reconciliation. So it's no surprise that when Jesus goes off to spend 40 days and 40 nights, it has to do with the preparation for the new kingdom, which is to bring about reconciliation.
1: That's so beautiful. I love the significance of the 40 days. And just as a slight personal note, but it's interesting how you say it's preparation for the, the, the kingdom. I remember my mom was suffering and she was in the hospital and due to alzheimer complications she couldn't eat and about the 40th day is when she died oh wow um and the lord i believe received her into his kingdom and i just think 40 days is about what a person can handle without eating and that's what jesus did he literally went to the brink of you know that human suffering in 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 fasting and you know dealing with the challenges of the temptations and you know, That's 40 days. That's a long time <laughs> to uh, to think about things and what you're about to go enter into your, your ministry.
0: It is. And for 40 days, he's in there. It says in Mark's version that that, f- I think it was Mark's version, that for that 40 days, he was tempted by the devil. So it wasn't just at the mm-hmm. end where we have these mm-hmm. three culminating experiences, mm-hmm. which we're going to go into in a little bit, but... It was during that entire time that he was tempted and and it calls to mind for us when we go through Lent, when we are in the process of trying to get ourselves better prepared to to be good Christians uh, sometimes I think we have a tendency, especially those of us who are involved with our faith and, and we we have to also keep in mind we're a small group out of all the Catholics that are out there that call that identify themselves as Catholics. Only 17% go to Mass either weekly or attempt to go weekly. I mean, even if we count the idea that Mm -hmm. they're trying, Mm -hmm. only 17% are those who actually are are taking it seriously every week and who know that it's important for us to go weekly. It would be sinful not to if we don't go Mm -hmm. on purpose. So for those of us who take it seriously, sometimes we have a tendency to think, I think, well, I'm already doing pretty well.
1: Yeah, I'm better than everybody else.
0: <laughs> it's very easy to get <laughs> yeah. into that boat.
1: Time to get humbled, people.
0: <laughs> and I, I, I'm always reminded, we, you know, we have, you know, the Eastern Orthodox Church has a doctrine that it's worked with for many, many years. It really goes back to origin and some of the Eastern uh, fathers of um, everyone We'll find a way to heaven somehow there's a doctrine in, in at least parts of eastern orthodoxy mm-hmm. that has this affinity for everyone eventually going to heaven and i know that in the western church we had von baltasar talk about dare we hope and it was kind of funny because he was held up against avery dulles on the other side at the same time who said nope there's hell and there are people in it and john paul gave them both he, he named them both to a consistory for cardinals And kind of interesting, Balthazar dies before he could get the red hat, (laughs) but Avery Dulles is able to be, to receive the Cardinal's hat. But I look at the evidence, I'm looking at what Jesus said, and I'm listening to him say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty deeds in your name? These are people doing ministry, which means, Mm -hmm. and if they're doing mighty deeds, that's a code word for, they're doing miraculous things. So they were part of Christianity, and they were what Protestants would call saved. They were part of that group that had the Holy Spirit working with them. but he also says somehow they also worked iniquity, they also sinned mm-hmm. and when they present themselves, he says, "Depart from me, you evil doers. I never knew you now, two parts to that one being that if he tells you at the last judgment." to depart from me, and there's only two places to go. It's not good news. <laughs> you don't want to hear those words. But it's interesting as well to say that he never knew you. This happens again. This is in Matthew, that we have the Sermon on the Mount. It's interesting that this is also the only, the only a gospel that has the story of the ten virgins who are getting ready for the wedding feast. And in those days, a wedding feast lasted about a week. It was about a seven-day feast, about halfway through uh the groom who's probably terribly drunk because he's been building the, the last touches on the house and so when the last board is nailed in Party his time. people <laughs> his Party people time. drag him <laughs> back over they get the bride and they bring him back they bring her back and she is escorted by her bridesmaids essentially the, the when it says the virgins what we're talking about are maidens these are mm, these are bridesmaids that's beautiful but there's 5 Because he's late. Maybe they're taking extra time to get it all ready. It's midnight. Now, remember, this is a seven-day thing, so it shouldn't shock us that he's coming at midnight, but he's coming at midnight. And these maidens, five of them, didn't take enough oil to make it all the way through. Five of them did. They prepared themselves. They they were wise. And when the five said, hey, it's getting late, and we're running out of oil, can you give us some of yours? No. Because we might not have enough for ourselves and for for you, go to the store and get some more and come back. And when they do, it's too late because the bridegroom has already come. Those five wise ones went in and then the door is shut. And when they come to the door and knock on the door, Jesus says the same thing to them. I never knew you. Now, these are the best friends to, to the bride. I don't think that he doesn't know them if this is only about a wedding. Mm-hmm. But it's about the wedding feast of that we see in, in, in Revelation. This is the wedding between Jesus and the kingdom. This is about the church. This is about how we become one with Christ. And for them, they weren't prepared. They didn't take with them enough oil, spirituality, the love of God. And because they didn't, even though they were part of the wedding troupe, they no longer are. And it's as if they never were. It's that kind of thing that really strikes me as being uh, difficult to reconcile with the idea that all will be saved. Um, when you have Jesus saying, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And narrow is the gate and uh, hard is the way that leads to eternal life. And few there are that find it. Few does not sound like a majority. <laughs> yeah. So, when we're looking at what Jesus is doing for his preparation, I think it behooves us to ask the question rather than presuppose that we're good enough, because the people who, frankly, are listening to relevant radio, there are many who are inquiring, but there's also many who probably do go to church as part of that 17%. Let's not presume. Let's prepare. Let's get enough oil. And that's what I think Jesus is doing, because he's a man, too. He may be fully God, but he has that separation of sorts. Here he's fully man.
1: Yeah, I, the virgins that were not prepared, they were out of relationship, out of relationship with Christ. And we as the bride of the church, you know, the, we're the bride of Christ, the church, and if we're not in relationship with Him, how could He really know us? He knows who we are. He knows what He created us to be, and has provided for us to be in relationship. Has done everything, and yet we turn away, and that's the sin.
0: We're not—we're not, we're not forced to to continue. There are no shotgun marriages in heaven. We—we no. we, <laughs> yeah. we are Too are long. never forced. <laughs> yeah. We need to take a, a break. When we come back, I want to discuss with you what Jesus faced in his three challenges that culminate his experience in the the wilderness and what they mean for us as a church. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, and with me today is Katie Hughes, who is from Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry and has her own program, Thy Kingdom Come. When we come back, we're going to talk about how Jesus confronted those three challenges and how significant they are for us in the church and for us individuals. We'll be right back. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, and with us today is Katie Hughes, who is the General Manager of Media for Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry, which is involved with, I know, uh, Deacon Steve Greco. Mm -hmm. and you have your own program, Thy Mm -hmm. Kingdom Come. Tell me for just a moment, what's that about?
1: Well, we're kind of talking about the kingdom of God here today um, in regards to Jesus and what he's done for us. Thy Kingdom Come is about understanding that we are baptized as priest, prophet, and king, that we have an inheritance through that baptism, because of what Jesus has done for us, and we have access to the supernatural gifts from the Holy Spirit. And so, in my journey as, um, in, in ministry for the last 10 years, I've been chasing God and following the Holy Spirit. Oh, I like that
0: image. <laughs> chasing
1: running around, um, like going into different countries, but then also realizing right in me is the power of the resurrection that rose Jesus and that's in us as we as Christians as Catholics and so I like to interview people and give teachings about the supernatural in our faith and how we can use it to evangelize and um, so it's a lot of fun I've been in schools of ministry of prophecy and healing and so I've been in this process myself learning and sharing that and that um anyone who wants to through the power of the Holy Spirit and loves the Lord, can serve the Lord through the gifts.
0: That is so cool. I am so glad that you're here because we've been talking today. This has been kind of a a very different Orange County Catholic radio program. Normally I'm not the one that talks and I'm doing most of the talking today. I do my fair share of talking, but I'm usually the one who's asking questions of somebody Mm -hmm. else. And I was asked to make a presentation at St. Paul the Apostle Church in Chino Hills, where you can find for free the the uh, video of this, I believe it, shortly anyway, listed on their website. But I made the presentation and it had to do with Lent, and I was asked if I could provide a version of this for the show and I thought, well, let's just talk it through let's go ahead and and, and talk about some of the main stuff because we've got this is this is the end of Lent, and this is what Jesus faces at the end of his wilderness. And so with that in mind, I thought, well that's the section from the talk that I thought was most important. Let's talk about that.
1: I think we're all kind of we're at, some of us are waning maybe in like our fervor in the lenten process and and so the lord kind of shows us where we are weak and we fail in what we're planning to do for lent, but I think this is a great opportunity not just for myself but everyone to really focus on these 40 days and our Lenten journey and and getting closer to the Lord, asking the Lord to come into our lives and, and how can we be more like him?
0: And that's kind of where we came the last half hour when we were talking was that Jesus was baptized and had the spirit come to him visually in this, this pillar of light and God the Father say, this is my beloved son. And then he's driven into the wilderness where he goes through His preparation period, his Lent, his 40 days. Why? So he can be prepared as he begins his formal ministry. Because right after this, he's going to relocate because he's going to find out John's been arrested. He goes, instead of going back to Nazareth, he goes to Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where he's going to set up shop. And he's going to get involved with a guy by the name of of, uh, Simon. Here he has a fish and chip shop. And he's got (laughs) uh, the Sons of Zebedee. (laughs) Have you been there? Have you been to Capernaum?
1: Yes, I have. So you've Mm -hmm. seen
0: the big museum over Peter's house that looks like the Millennium Falcon? It looks
1: like the the Millennium (laughs) Falcon.
0: It's so But it's cool because you can look below it and see the excavation of Peter's house. That's
1: amazing.
0: What's also interesting, a lot of people don't put two and two together on this, I don't think, but it's right next to the shore and it's right near the synagogue. Peter was not poor. Peter had his own business. Yeah, that was a high- nice
1: place. <laughs> yeah.
0: And he, the sons of Zebedee were working for Zebedee. They had their own. These were people who I think in our day we would kind of call the middle class. It's anachronistic to, or it's reading our own culture into it to say that mm-hmm. for them. But it's kind of, these are people who own a business, but they work it. And they may have higher people to to work with them, but they're not wealthy, but they've got probably more money than a lot of other people do. And it's interesting because... These are people who then have something to give up by following Jesus. And what people also don't realize is that their families are helping to support Jesus. We find out later. It's the women who follow Jesus all the way to the cross. They're the only ones who know where the body is buried because they're (laughs) the ones who followed him. Anyway, but he starts his ministry after this this 40 days in the wilderness there in Capernaum. So he's preparing. And at the very end, he's confronted. When he's hungry... And tired, he's confronted. Angry. Angry, yes. My my wife will tell me that at certain certain points. He's confronted with three great challenges. Number one, to turn the stone into bread. That's the first temptation. And he's very hungry, so that's gotta be very tempting individually for himself. Number two, throw yourself down from the temple and trust in the angels of God to save you. That somehow, if you throw yourself down, it's certain death unless God saves you. Do you trust your own father? And number three, I will give you dominion over all the secular powers of the world if you will just worship me. So let's let's start with number one, that he was tempted to turn the stone into bread. It says, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered... It is written, one does not live by bread alone, and then Matthew adds the next part, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When I say adds the next part, he's not really adding it. He's just expanding the quote because every one of these responses, Jesus quotes from Scripture, and not just any Scripture, he quotes from the Torah and specifically from Deuteronomy, which is kind of this culminating book at the end where we have in chapter 6, the famous Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which, of course, is one of the two greatest commandments that Jesus talks about. He knows Deuteronomy extremely well, just like he knows Isaiah very well. And the extended quote is fascinating. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it says, He humbled you. By you being the the people of Israel. These are people that have followed Moses out into the desert on their way out of Egypt and on to the promised land. So they're on the way to the promised land. Moses is scolding them, basically. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you manna, with which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted. In order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The clothes on your back did not wear out, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a parent disciplines a child, so the Lord disciplines you. In other words, the longer quote is a reminder that on our way to the promised land, God will take care of us. Don't worry about it. Trust in the Lord. Now, we only get the short little reference in Matthew, but remember, Matthew His writing is the most Jewish-oriented. We'll put it that way. Isaiah is quoted in Matthew 70 times. (laughs) It's full of the Old Testament, unlike Luke, which doesn't have nearly as much. And Mark is kind of a a (laughs) pre-version. Matthew has people, therefore, who when they hear Jesus just quote the first part, they know the Torah like the back of their hand. They know what he's referring to. And it's a reminder, oh, yeah, we're on a journey. And it is with God's hope in our lives. But wait, it gets even better. The temptation was that you should turn these stones into bread. And Jesus reminds Satan, no, no, God is taking care of us. That was what manna was. It was God intervening for us. But remember, Jesus, when he gets to the Last Supper... He takes what the devil tempted him to do to short-circuit his ministry. Mm -hmm. Here, take the bread and and take the stones and make it your own bread. Use your power for yourself. Remember, you even pointed it out at the beginning. Jesus doesn't use his own God-given power for himself. He prays to the Father, and the Father does things. He he has the Holy Spirit do Mm -hmm. things, but Jesus himself generally doesn't do that, and he's not going to start here. The devil tempts him to short circuit it. On the contrary, what Jesus does at the Last Supper is turn bread into himself to feed a hungry world until he comes again.
1: Spiritually.
0: Well, and yeah. physically, I yeah. believe that when I take the, the Eucharist, mm-hmm. I'm taking the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus for real mm-hmm. yeah. on a substantive level. Yeah. Which means that what the devil tempted Jesus with was a truncated version of of what jesus actually offers us in the eucharist I, I i i'm blown away by that when you begin to think about that especially since I, my first introduction to this was as a protestant okay. and this would have been a no-no <laughs> to right, really yeah. think through as the the real they presence don't go there they don't go there but this is where it goes mm-hmm. so we go to who jesus is in this let, let me think for a moment before before we go on to the second challenge Remember, Jesus in himself, he even calls himself the bread of life. He says in John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, much like we discovered in Deuteronomy. And they died. (laughs) This is the bread that comes down from heaven. In other words, what Deuteronomy God gave to the people was to shore them up, but they're going to die in the wilderness. (laughs) This is the bread that came down from heaven so that when they eat of it and not die, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It's Eucharist.
1: Yeah, and I'm just thinking about how he said, apart from me, you can do nothing like that's somewhere else. I'm not going to no, say no, where no. it is, but like that, that we really do need. We really do need his body and blood for this spiritual and physical journey for through life and for the everlasting life we, we and we need it daily you know i do
0: <laughs> yeah I, I, what you're quoting is when jesus is talking about i am the vine you are the branches mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. vine of course is the vine that grows grapes mm-hmm. which is what we make into the wine which mm-hmm. we use for eucharist yes so that we again That's are Tyson. brought back to it does <laughs> Thank you. It's amazing how this works from a catholic perspective <laughs> it really truly is it's it's so cool all right. So then it says, well, we got challenge number one down. Challenge number two. Throw yourself down from the temple and trust in the angels of God to save you. That's essentially the challenge. So what does it say actually? Then the devil took him to the holy city, which would have been about 10 miles from where he was at the time and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple. The temple does not have a pinnacle, but in the, in the Hebrew, what it se- or excuse me, in the Greek, what it seems to be suggesting is the top of the temple. So this would have been very high up and he's looking out down. There are a couple of things here. One is you're now in front of your own people, you know, prove yourself to them. Mm. Um, No, (laughs) (laughs) but it's also demonstrate, you know, jump off Mm. and demonstrate that God won't let you die. It says, uh, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. By the way, that is the devil quoting scripture. Don't be surprised what he does. That's from Psalms. And Jesus comes back, and, of course, he quotes the Torah again. And it's the same book, Deuteronomy, this time chapter 6. And it says, do not put your Lord your God. Well, first of all, he says, Jesus said, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. What he's quoting from is Deuteronomy 6.16, which says, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Well, what's that referring to? Well, Deuteronomy is referring back to an incident when in, in Exodus, we see it in chapter 17, when the people were in the desert, there wasn't enough water and they start whining and complaining, which they seem to do a lot. And so it reads, so Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with his people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Keep that image in mind for a minute. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. And so Moses did so. In the sight of the elders of Israel, he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested. The word Massa." In Hebrew, it means to be tested. Meribah means to quarrel. And so it's called that a couple of times, and it's used in a lot of, of uh, our, our liturgy material. It's used in the in the hours of the church. But what's interesting here is two things. Number one, again, it's a reference to God providing for people in the middle of the wilderness on their way. God will take care of you. But notice, he says, I will go and stand before the rock, strike the rock. The only way to strike the rock, if God is standing in front of it, is for Moses to strike through God to the rock. It Mm -hmm. is Moses, who represents the people of God, who symbolically strikes the presence of God to have the waters come out to save Mm -hmm. them, which is exactly what happens. It is Israel that rejects its Messiah, has Jesus crucified in order for us to have a good Friday. For us to have that salvation come to us. It's all about that death and resurrection experience again.
1: I love the imagery of Christ the Messiah and Moses being used and how in faith, Mo- Moses is this prophet. He's he The Lord is activating these miracles through a person and he's really demonstrating through Just in all of that, like one trust in the Lord, he will act, just do what I say, even if it's ridiculous. And sometimes in ministry, you're following the Lord and the world thinks you look like a fool, but you do it. And there's some type of blessing that God does, you know, conversions or people are touched by God's presence, whatever it may be.
0: This brings back acts where you've got Philip who is told in a dream, get up and go he does, He's not told why, but he's told to go to the road along Gaza. He goes there, and there's this Ethiopian eunuch who's in a chariot driving mm-hmm. along, and he's reading Isaiah, and Philip helps convert him, and he baptizes the guy that disappeared by just simply doing what he's told to do, like Joseph did with, with the Holy Family to escape to Egypt. By doing what we're told to do, mm-hmm. we're doing God's will. Trust, trust God.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love how Philip just, it's that miracle, of tr- I think they call it like transportation or something. <laughs>
0: Well, and and so that ends, for, for us, it is, okay, you trust that God will save you. Well, Jesus is trusting that indeed God will save him, but not necessarily from death. We'll come back to that. And then challenge number three, that he will be given dominion of the secular powers if he worships the devil. Here's what it says. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down. And worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Guess which book this also comes from?
1: Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy.
0: Woo! You win. Deuteronomy (laughs) chapter 10. You fear the Lord your God. You shall fear the Lord your God. Him alone you shall worship. To him you shall hold fast and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God. Who has done for you these great and awesome things that your own eyes have seen. Your ancestors went down to Egypt seventy persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in heaven. It again, the people who would be reading Matthew would know exactly that this is what Jesus is, is telling us. And it's this idea that indeed. We are being led by God in all that we do, just as Moses was led by God, just as the people were led by God. Now Jesus is being reminded and reminding Satan, so to speak, mm-hmm, his future that, no, mm-hmm. this is not about uh, me worshiping you and somehow getting secular power. And in fact, by fulfilling his calling to trust in God to go through the death and the resurrection, Matthew gives us in the final scene a culmination that verifies exactly what Jesus knew. That last paragraph of Matthew in 28, where we have the Great Commissioning, listen to what it says. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Remember, this is after the resurrection account. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain. Remember, the devil had taken Jesus up to a mountain. To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. So far from him worshiping the devil, mm-hmm. they worship him. Now, the next line always fascinates me because it then says, yet but some doubted. Here are these people who saw him heal the sick and, and raise the dead, die and raise himself, and yet they had doubts. Why should we beat ourselves up when we have our own momentary doubts? And in fact, if I, I would venture to say, if you don't have some of this really rock your world to the point where you have to ask yourself, do I really believe this? Wow. Then are are you really taking it seriously enough? Because it is awesome. So awesome. It, you can't just accept it at face value. You have to engage it. But anyway, then he says something very interesting. Not only are they worshiping him, but he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And then he tells him to do certain things, which we're going to go over in just a minute. Mm-hmm. But notice... It isn't the secular powers that he's gotten. He's got all authority in heaven and on earth, not just on earth. So it's interesting because he has the powers of heaven, the powers of earth. By the way, the one area that it doesn't say he has is hell. Yeah. And the devil's free to reign there. And that's not a bad thing.
1: (laughs) He gets whatever's going on down there, like, keep it to himself.
0: (laughs) So we're left with only one last part of that, and it says that then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. And it's kind of like, okay, as a man, he confronted all this, and he withstood this as a man. Now it's time for the angels to come and minister to him as Messiah. But only after. It's like this is a microcosm of everything he's going to go through. So as we're looking at the three great challenges in Our lives. Turning the stone into bread, Christ gives us Eucharist. And indeed, what we have in Jesus Christ is that instead of him turning the stone into bread and short circuiting what he could have done, he at the Last Supper empowers the priesthood to give us his ministry and give us himself so that we too can encounter. Just as that woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, remember when mm-hmm. he was he was on his way through a crowd of people to go heal a 12-year-old little girl? Mm-hmm. And on the way, this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, and therefore she can't bathe, bathe in the mikvah, so she is not acceptable to the people around Unclean. for 12 years. She touches him, and he feels the power leave. The only way I can describe what the scripture seems to describe is it's like an electrical circuit has been turned on. Mm-hmm. And he says, I felt the power leave me who touched me. And his his disciples all kind of laugh at him and say, What do you mean? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Yeah. No, no, no. Somebody touched me. Mm-hmm. And she comes out kind of trembling and says, It was me, and I felt it heal me. Your faith has saved you, but notice, the faith didn't save her till she acted on it. And just as she was able to come in direct contact with Jesus Christ, so too are we. Every morning if we want to go to Daily Mass, but at least every week when we go with our families to, to Sunday Mass, mm-hmm. we are able to encounter the Eucharist for real.
1: I hope this reflection really helps all of us to like be more contemplative about what's really going on in the Mass and how important, when you receive, how should you come to the Lord? Yeah. How should you be dressed? How do you Come to him humbly like we should all be on our knees.
0: <laughs> I have difficulty with I my know. knees, but that's a, I, if okay. you can, if you, you can, can. <laughs> but the, the, the bottom line here is that Jesus is in a microcosm of the t- testing. Mm-hmm. He's getting ready to go out and accomplish this. And we are reminded, look, you don't know what God is going to work with you in the time you've got left, whether you're 17 or 77, mm-hmm. you don't know what God has for you, but he is preparing you for something. Be ready. And then the second thing where he's told to throw himself down from the temple, it really is, hey, trust that God is not going to let you die. And Jesus says, on the contrary, I trust that God is going to let me die and will raise me from the dead. And he does. And then Mm -hmm. Jesus throws the question back at us, so what do you believe? Mm -hmm. Kind of that whole Indiana Jones thing. What do you truly believe? (laughs) What do you believe? Do you Mm -hmm. believe that if Jesus says, I will raise you from the dead, that at the mass of the resurrection, that if we have died in love with Christ, that we'll be raised with him. Do we truly believe that? In a way, it's not that Jesus is asking the same question the devil is asking of us. He's asking it from a whole different perspective, but it's a similar concern that we have to deal with. Do we truly trust God when he tells us, I will raise you from the dead if you love me with all your heart?
1: Yeah. It's really hard sometimes when you're going through this world and all of these challenges and you want to go to the world to solve your problems. And do you trust him? Like, yeah, you're in a trial, but he will, he will bring you through it in some way, death or not. He will healing you or or healing you in an everlasting life. He will get you through what he wants for you, but it, yeah. You have to ask for faith. That's what happens. If you want faith, you don't believe as much as you want, ask for it.
0: Well, and that kind of brings us to that last challenge, which is, all right, in faith, what do you believe about your call? Are you the Messiah or, or are you not? And for Jesus, of course, he does not bow down to the devil. He doesn't go after secular power like we're all tempted to, you know, the whole he who dies with the most toys wins. Uh, n- n- no, he is king of kings and Lord of lords. And it is before him that every knee will bow. We see this as at, at Mass where everyone bows before our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is that dominion that he's been given in order to empower us to be his brothers and sisters, to reign with him. As you put it, and that you talk so much on your show, priest, prophet, and king. We're part of the royal family here. Mm-hmm and that is so cool but it only comes because Jesus was prepared to live that out in faith and to conquer those temptations
1: indeed yeah amazing that um his how true his love is and we can um, completely rely on on him to pull through for us, <laughs> even if this, you're just starting Lent today. <laughs> That's true. You can still like, you can still rally it, you know.
0: <laughs> so as we prepare for Easter and our resurrection and the resurrection of Christ, and we come through our time of Lent, let us recall that it is for ministry that we are, are called. This is a time of preparation for it. Wow. Katie, I want to thank you so very much. Katie Hughes, thank you for being here. Sure. Would you please lead us in a word of prayer?
1: Sure. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just thank you for all that you're doing in us and through us in this lens that we can be who you want us to be in this time and prepare us for the celebration of everlasting life. And every day we can celebrate that through the mass, through the sacraments. We just bless your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we continue to celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: You've been listening to a special version of Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today has been Katie Hughes from Spirit-Filled Hearts Ministry and Thy Kingdom Come program that Katie is the host for. If you'd like to hear this again, you can go to Orange County Catholic Radio or... OCCatholic.com and at OCCatholic.com go to the radio tab where you can find our flagship show and you can listen to this again or refer to someone else in the meantime we will see you again next week I'm Rick Howick and I thank you for listening May God richly bless you in this Easter